Tasmanian devils nearly went extinct 20 years ago when an unusual cancer caused spread rapidly, attacking the face, and then killing animals by the hundreds. Eventually, some devils developed resistance and the population rebounded. But recently, a second cancer has emerged in the devils. Like the first cancer, the tumors grew so large that they prevented the animals from eating. And also, like the first, the cancer spread during fights when they bit each other. These cancers stem from a very unusual series of events. The first occurs due to a breakup of the sex chromosomes. Pieces of these broken chromosomes attach to other places in the genome, particularly chromosome 1, disrupting genes that regulate cell growth, thus producing cancers. In the second cancer, chromosome 6 is missing and instead has fused with chromosome 1. Now here's the really weird thing. In Tasmanian devils, chromosomes from the mother have much shorter telomeres. Those are the caps on the ends of the chromosomes uh, than those from the dad. The shorter chromosome caps from mom can make chromosomes prone to merging. And once they have merged, they get into a weird cell that spreads from animal to animal as they fight. These transmissible cancers not only evade the devil's immune system, but are also able to move to new bodies and perpetuate. Cancer researchers have found these transmissible cancers in North American dogs and soft-shell clams, making them wonder where else they will pop up. This work was presented last week at the annual meeting of the Society for Molecular Biology and Evolution in Austin, Texas, and reported on the Science Magazine website. Today's day number one of the KGNU Pledge Drive. Remember, our show is supported by your generous donations. We'd like to remind you, we have a show goal for this show of $500. We would like to see you call in. If you like science, if you think you like science, if you want to learn about science, this is the place to go. And we provide this science show to you as a volunteer-run show. This is your chance to show your support by dialing 303 449-4885. And we are appealing to your emotions to contribute to support us. If you're interested in emotional intelligence, which is the ability to recognize and understand emotions in yourselves and others, and your ability to use this awareness to manage your behavior and relationships, then there is a seminar for you at CU Boulder next Tuesday. The Department of Human Resources at CU is offering a free two-hour seminar to explore this important ability and gain skills to improve your own emotional intelligence. The seminar takes place next Tuesday, July 18th from 9 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. on East Campus in the Arc Building at 33rd and Marine Streets in room 346. Chip? Did you know that people don't just have to call in at 303-449-4885, but there's another way you can donate? What other methods are there, Joel? Well, what, what else is out there besides old technology like the phone and things like that? Can you think of anything? The interwebs? Oh, that's right. The interwebs. I've heard of that. I think I have that in my home. <laughs> Indeed. And you, listeners, can also pledge, if you prefer, via those intertubes at kgnu.org and you can get started for as little as $5 a month if you want to have a below the radar continuous type support for your favorite 
radio show. And Joel, even though, you know, our uh, community radio station is homespun, the technology that manages our website is, of course, secure. And when you pledge online, you are pledging securely. And we keep your information confidential and private. And we reveal uh, during the Pledge Drive as much information about you or as, as you little. wish. Or as little. I feel secure already. So whether you prefer the emotional support that you provide us or you like the intellectual stimulation of our science show, please call us at 303-449-4885 or go online at kgnu.org to pledge your support. And you have a chance to give that pledge now as we go into a little music break and then our main feature. Remember, it's 303-449-4885. Hello, we're twins, we're twins, yes sir, I am me, she is she, except when I pretend I'm her, and when we switch, you can't tell which is which, you don't know who you're talking to, cause we're identical, 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 identical twins. You are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Beth Bennett. In the studio with me today is Brittany Demet, who recently finished her doctoral work here in Boulder at CU's Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental Biology Department and the Institute for Behavioral Genetics, where she used the twin database to conduct her dissertation study looking at genetic factors influencing the composition of the oral microbiome. So welcome, Brittany. Hello, happy to be here. Great, and tell us a little bit about, just to start, about what exactly the oral microbiome is. Well, the oral microbiome are the microorganisms that live inside of your mouth cavity. So every time you brush your teeth, all that plaque that you're scraping off is actually a biofilm that your oral microbes have created. And did you uh, assess the individual species composition in the mouths of all these twins? Well, we tried to anyway. So the microbiome field, if you've noticed lately, has taken off and that is due to the ability to sequence the microbes that are in your body. And we do this by sequencing a gene that is highly conserved between microorganisms. It's the small ribosomal subunit. It's part of that. It's called the 16S. And the advantage of sequencing this gene is you can compare it between species and identify the different bacteria that are present. So now, in other words, each species will have a slightly different string of A's and T's and C's and G's in their 16S DNA exactly. sequence. Right. And what makes this work challenging is that the longer your sequencing read, the better resolution you have of what species you're looking at. So actually, the sequencing I did, I was more looking at the genus level, but you know, you can, anti- you can uh, anticipate that you might be looking at species and strain if you have longer sequencing. Okay, so how many species of microbe would you typically find in someone's mouth? <laughs> there is estimated to be about over 700 oh, uh, wow. that are present. Yeah, it's quite a few. Um, you have some big players like Streptococcus, which we may be all familiar with because they cause cavities, the mutants forms. But you also have a lot of good guys in there who just like to live in your mouth. So do the good guys keep the bad guys in check? That's exactly the hypothesis that's circulating in the field right now. So the idea is that you have good organisms that live on your teeth that you want to promote the accumulation of, and those keep the good guys that cause cavities out. But we're still testing that. Okay, so that was your molecular or lab technology. What did you do with twins? Well, the twins were kind of... uh, Um, unexpected twist to my thesis. So originally the intent was to identify genes in your host genome that associated with the microbiome. But we quickly found that to test what 
trait to test in the oral microbiome became a real challenge. As I told you, there's like 700 species, we have different measurements. And so what we decided to do was do a twin study that would allow us to identify the most heritable trait of the oral microbiome and use that to then test in a GWAS analysis or a genome-wide association study, which would allow to identify single genes that were important. And so we tested over 900 traits in these twins and asked basically a simple question. You have identical twins, which we just heard a cute little ditty about, <laughs> that they are completely identical. And you have twins that are called non-identical twins or dizygotic, you may have heard that term. And so if a trait is heritable or that genetics is playing a part, what you expect is that MZ twins, monozygotic identical twins, are gonna be more similar than dizygotic twins or fraternal twins, which are basically like brothers and sisters. And so using those principles, we estimated the heritability of over 900 traits. So you had a database on all these twins that goes back for years and decades, in fact. Oh, yes. And what are some of the traits that you looked at? Um, so it, so the traits I looked at were all with the oral microbiome, so that it was such as the abundance of different species or different bacteria, um, to what are diversity terms that describe just the entire community structure of your mouth. What does that look like? Um, and so, yes, we owe a lot to the Institute for Behavioral Genetics who collected this twin study. They've been doing it for over 20 years. Um, and so there was also a lot of uh, information about these twins, whether they were cohabitating, which we found an interesting approach. Um, a previous grad student in the lab had shown cohabitation is a really important factor for your microbiome. And so we were able to ask if our heritability effects were still resistant, even when we controlled for the fact that some of these twins were cohabitating. So I find that people are often confused by heritability. I think it's worth spending a minute or two talking about exactly yeah. what that means, because I think intuitively people think, oh, if a trait is heritable, that means I'm going to get it. But really, go on and tell us a little bit more about what exactly it means. So here we're talking about where host genetics are, are your DNA that you inherit from your parents is determining the trait. And so in this case, it was the microbiome and whether it was heritable and what percent of the trait can be accounted for by that genetic. So most of the traits that we looked at were about 30% genetics. So what that would mean is that, you know, that trait is about 30% of it can be accounted for by host genetics, which means another 70% is probably coming from your environment, um, whether it's what you share with your twin or what you share with your family or the fact that you play soccer and the other twin doesn't. So it, it, that's kind of an idea of what heritability means. So do you have any idea of what those genes are in the host that might predispose them to harbor certain bacteria? Yeah, so that that's kind of the leading question. Um, we went ahead and did take our most heritable traits and do a genome-wide association study. Um, we had some genes that pop up that were a little interesting, um, ones you know that deal with tooth formology, for example. But I will say an important thing to do in human genetics is always replicate your analysis. And that's what we're in the process of doing is collecting our sample. So don't go DNA testing for your tooth morphology yet. <laughs> so when you say tooth morphology, give us a little example of what exactly yeah. that means. So the gene that we identified has actually been previously knocked out or taken out of a mouse and their teeth change and they have problems with their tooth structure. And this gene was actually pre previously identified in a um, genome-wide association for dental cavities, which kind of makes intuitive sense that it would be, you know, maybe responsible for the rate of cavities as well as different microbes in your mouth. Yeah, that does make sense because each gene typically encodes a protein, at least that's how we often think about genes, and a protein could control the hardness or softness of the um, 
the dental surface. Although I don't know if that would affect the tooth morphology per se. Yeah, exactly. It can be a lot of different factors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we definitely have genes that are influencing what microbes are there. But it also makes sense that 70% of the the variety in your oral microbiome would be the environment because lots of studies with the gut have shown that the environment is really, really important. So what are some environmental factors that would affect that? Well, uh, that's an excellent question as well. Right now I'm working on a study looking at tobacco and marijuana use in those um, oral microbes because you could anticipate if you're inhaling smoke, um, whether that be from marijuana or tobacco, that that could affect the oral microbes. Um, Tobacco has been shown to already have an effect. Um, Things like diet are still being investigated. Last week there was a paper showing that they think carbohydrate diet does influence the oral microbiome in children. Um, But these are, you know, they've shown kissing. So there was a fun study done um, where they had people kiss each other. And for the length of the study, you would obviously share the microbes with those who were kissing. So um, I always tell my husband, we probably have the same oral microbiome so we can share food. It's no big deal. Um, But, you know, that's still a very active area of research. And it's really exciting to see what could affect it. So you're not yet ready to conclude that kissing is good for your health? (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't hurt. Depends on who you're kissing. (laughs) Excellent point. And if you are just tuning in to our talk about kissing, this is our first day of the Summer Pledge Drive, and you are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Beth Bennett, and I'm speaking with Dr. Brittany Demet about the microbiome of the mouth and how your genes influence it. But before we go back to talking about kissing, I like that idea, let's remind you of the phone number you can call, 303-449-4885, or the website you can visit, kgnu.org, to donate to support our community radio station. We would like to thank all of our sustainers of local radio, or the Solars, so you can join our monthly solar givers by calling 303-449-4885. And we would like to thank Perry Bergman from Thornton for Perry's contribution supporting How on Earth, supporting science on your community radio station. In one way, I like to think of uh, KGNU radio community radio as a microbiome perhaps the uh the talents <laughs> we, the we were just talking about kissing <laughs> <laughs> i mean i like to think of the talents and the inclinations and the proclivities and the abilities of the of of the staff of the core is like the dna of the host organism but in fact no no host organism we learned really stands on its own it's only because of the contribution of other organisms that make up the microbiome that makes an organism viable in the same way we can have the most enthusiastic talented uh persistent staff members and volunteers but without the expanded biome of the listener member the kgnu organism is not viable and in fact we provide a lot of shows about the microbiome we have a special series on KGNU How on Earth called Our Microbiome Ourselves. This show is one example of this theme of an important topic that we provide to you that I, I'm an astronomer. I, know, I don't know about microbiomes and I've learned so much just by being a part of this show as I'm sure you have by listening. So support this education of you and your neighbors in the world from How on Earth by calling 303-449-4885. And as Chip was saying, every ecosystem is a cooperative endeavor among a lot of different species, a diversity of species, but every ecosystem also needs 
income. We are begging you for your support so that we can continue this show and all the other shows that you love on this community radio station. It's a source of nutrition. Exactly. Your cash is our food. 303-449-4885. It was interesting, Beth, in the, uh, your earlier headline, you made uh, reference to the concept of emotional intelligence. I think uh, earlier... Uh, theories of human behavior were somewhat simplistic that had humans as the ratio economic self maximizer that's a that's a belief about human beings that's very popular among libertarians very easy to model in computers Uh, and by that mode of thought about human uh, behavior you would say why would i sit here and pay for kgnu when i can turn on my radio and listen for free and no one can know the difference and certainly if your model of human behavior is that of the ratio economic self maximizer then then that seems like a totally yes i think that all the time rational decision <laughs> but now we learn about things like emotional intelligence and we learn that uh what makes a successful community is not necessarily a bunch of uh, individuals trying to maximize their own individual outcome and through a misinterpretation of uh, Adam Smith and the magic of the invisible hand uh, comes out with prosperity for all. So uh, if your emotional intelligence is making you think right now, you know what, me just sitting here and listening and getting the benefit of KGNU uh, is not quite uh, the spirit of a fair community, Uh, you know, act on that emotional intelligence right now. Give us a call at 303-449-4885. So I wonder if that is true of the microbes in the mouth, too. Is there kind of a collective um, support system, like some microbes will help each other out? That's an excellent question. Uh, That's definitely true. There's beautiful studies where they have cultured microbes and shown certain ones cannot live without the other, that they help metabolize materials that the other cannot. Um, There's kind of an interesting concept called pangenome, this idea that, you know, microbes are able to exchange information so fast and so fluidly that they may not, uh, you know, exist as a single species, but we need to be considering them as a community structure because they are so dependent on one another. So it's really exciting where this field is going. Yeah, that's a remarkable thought that these little tiny things that we think of as so primitive and simple have that kind of complex interaction. Right, exactly. Yeah, and and you mentioned that um, things like carbohydrates in the diet can have an effect. And I wonder if it's a two-way street, like can the microbes in our mouth maybe influence what we want to eat? And that that is a fun question to think about for sure. Can we blame them on our sugar habits? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, and it's 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 interesting to think about the oral microbiome. Probably is not where that is, you know, going on as far as. But y- you never know, and it's mm-hmm. definitely interesting mm-hmm. to think about. I mean, I wonder about the you know the concept of the acquired taste. You know, there are some foods that we first have as a child or even as an adult, mm-hmm. and the first time you taste them, you, like, oh my God, that is mm-hmm. was an offense mm-hmm. to put that in my mouth. I hate it. And then some point later on, you really come to like it. And I wonder whether or not that's just a psychological phenomenon of adjusting your expectations or whether when your microbiome of your mouth is exposed to these new foods that they adjust. And so that subsequent times when you eat them, you have a different reaction. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Well, I know for me, one of those first and most potent acquired taste was alcohol because I didn't like it at first (laughs) and I eventually came to like it and you know you were talking about smoking as being detrimental to certain microbes what about alcohol which has kind of a um, 
almost a sterilizing effect. Yeah, so we are looking at alcohol as well, as well as methamphetamine. I don't know if you're familiar with meth mouth, but individuals who use methamphetamine have terrible um, oral health problems. And so, yeah, the study is ongoing and we are considering alcohol as certainly you, the acidic effects. Um, and, you know, the if you're not do, uh, having as good oral health practices as well, if you are constantly drinking, that could also have an effect. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. teasing apart the cause and the effect between all of these habits will be kind of interesting. Is it the microbes driving us to these habits or vice versa? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's an exciting field to be in for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other traits that, that really struck you as interesting and significant in determining um, the, the genetic correlation among the twins? Yeah, actually. So I anticipated that um, the community structure would be the most heritable. And, and it was some of the some of our community measurements were. But we actually did have specific organisms where their abundance was highly heritable to comparable to that of the community structure. And so that that's exciting to think about because you could probably test the hypotheses of what exactly genes are affecting a single microbe a little more simply. And I was pretty mm. shocked to see that myself. Mm -hmm. So for example, the genus Granulicatella we saw as highly heritable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know that when people look at gut microbes, they find really different collections in, say, African uh, populations. Have you or has anyone looked at oral microbes in different populations across the globe? Yeah, so our there's a really nice study that did look over 12 different countries. Um, they were not able to see huge global effects. Um, my study for the genetic portion, I did have a European sample as well as an admix sample. Um, we saw similar effects uh, between the two samples, um, but our admix sample was only about 300 people. It was very small. I, I think that's really, really important mm -hmm. for science mm -hmm. to be pushing to make sure to be including all these different ancestry groups. And I think that's an excellent point. And right. we are working to continue to, uh, you know, make those samples larger so that mm -hmm. we have more pa statistical mm -hmm. power. Are some of the commercial operations, to, to your knowledge anyway, like 23andMe, collecting any information on... Um, microbiomes to correlate with their genetic analyses? <laughs> well, I hope they are. <laughs> um, there is interesting stuff where uh, labs have worked where, you know, when you get your DNA sequence, there is actually some reads in there from the sequencing that are left over that are actually your microbiome. So there are really clever labs that are working on cannibalizing those reads mm. and using mm -hmm. them to map to your microbiome. Uh -huh. um, I haven't read too much about it beyond that, but it's definitely something to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So where do you think you would like to go next with this? Uh, with the study? Yeah. Um, well, I think a replication sample is really important. We're currently collecting that. And then my focus efforts are on the marijuana and tobacco study right now. So mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. keeps me bu pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so do you actually interview the twins or is there data available on these twins relevant to their marijuana and smoking habits? Yeah, so these these poor twins <laughs> have to fill out a questionnaire um, depending on about eight hours. So we it's a lot of dense information all about all the different lifestyles um, and drug use is just a portion of that but we have a lot of information. So I remember doing a lot of genetic studies with animals and the animals were great because they couldn't lie to you. What kind of um, procedures did you have to validate things like questionnaires? 
Yeah, so that was done a lot before my time where they Mm -hmm. validated Mm -hmm. these questionnaires. Certainly I've run into individuals where they're telling me they're drinking way more than I think is physically possible in a week. Um, But for the most part, it seems pretty consistent. And you'll even see within families that they kind of have similar rates, which would suggest that you're maybe seeing real um, Mm -hmm. results. But Mm -hmm. yeah, these questionnaires have been validated. And you mentioned earlier that um, these twins have been followed for a number of years and there's longitudinal data on them. Um, Were you able to collect oral microbiome data that showed changes over time? Yeah, so the previous graduate student in the lab, Dr. Simone Starringer, did a really beautiful paper where she looked at about a hundred of these twins over 20 years and saw that there was some consistency, but you could also see the change and actually specifically map where they um, quit living together, which was interesting. Um, In this sample, I also had about a hundred that they were um, you know, continuing to live together. And there is a remarkable um, consistency in your oral microbiome, even over seven years, which is pretty incredible, really. I mean, certainly I can think of when those twins were uh, toddler age, uh, their mothers, if they had not watched children closely before, are usually aghast at how many things the one kid picks up and puts <laughs> in their mouth, and then the other kid picks up and puts in their mouth. So I imagine that two children of the same developmental stage together would have almost an identical microbiome if they act like typical kids do. Uh, but then, uh, you know, habits and tastes and environment and food uh, proclivities change. And so it seems to me like the microbiome would tend to change as, the, as people get older and become more distinctive. Right. And, and I think, and that kind of goes back to the host genetics, that these ones, these microbes that are maybe determined more by your host genetics, or at least a large portion of it, are going to maybe be more consistent than some of these others that are um, affected by environmental factors. I think your point about toddlers is totally true and, and, and very interesting. Uh, we unfortunately only had about eight-year-olds. So we aren't, so y- you're right, the, the small children, their oral microbiome is quite in flux and it's not as consistent. Um, but once you have your tooth erupt, that's kind of the key point where your, 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 your community structure is more consistent. And as environments change, so does community support. So remember, this is the kickoff to our summer pledge drive. Please call in to support us here at this community ecosystem of a radio station. How on Earth, like other KGNU shows, is supported by your pledges. We can offer these unique and special interviews like today's with Dr. Demet on the oral microbiome because of your support. Call in at 303-449-4885 or go online at kgnu.org. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Alejandro Sotero. This week's show was produced by Beth Bennett and was engineered by yours truly, Joel Parker. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Nadine Nadine. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, KGNU Science Show, I'm Chip Granditz. I'm Beth Bennett. And I'm Joel Parker.